You're listening to Trade Entrepreneur, the show for business owners by business owners. I'm your host, David Sudworth, and welcome to this week's show. Welcome back. Everyone who joined us last week will know that we're in the middle of a two-part interview with Bruce Allen. Bruce is the chief executive of HETAS, uh, arguably the main solid fuel competent person scheme in the country. Last week, we talked about business and how um, Bruce has grown HETAS from being a one-person organization to an organization with over 60 people today and the, the various roles that he's undertaken that time and the various challenges. And we talked about leadership. So if you haven't listened to that, I definitely advise you to go back and listen to that before with the issues we're going to talk about today. Today's going to be a slightly different because um, I'm aware, obviously, a lot of chimney sweeps and installers listen to this podcast. So it's going to be a bit more installation and sweeping centric this week so if you're not interested in <laughs> not interested in installation or uh, sweeping you may find some of this a bit uh bewildering but nevertheless i think you probably find that there's some large similarities with um with, with your industry just as much as there are in installation and sweeping heatas it's a big name in installation do you find that being the biggest means that you end up getting more pot shots thrown at you because of it? Yes, that's an interesting point. Um, I think, of course, yeah, that's that's uh, got to be the case, isn't it? Because the uh, I suppose it's like um, you know, Corgi was and Gas Safe and NIC, IC, and any other scheme that's sort of prominent in its sector. And to some extent, like your local authority, you know, um, people sort of, you know, get emotive about these things and have, have some sort of strong views and they, um, they will sort of express those views, which is fine as long as they're considered views and they're, uh, and they've taken the time to find out what it is there, um, you know, the background to what their problem is. And, uh, and so yes, we do expect to have to answer some questions and that's part of our role and it's okay. What you find is the, most common misapprehension which you have to correct people on? Uh, I, I think the, I suppose one that I always find fascinating is that um, we promote HETAS and then get uh, criticised for promoting HETAS. Um, and I say, well, you know, if would you promote your competitors? Because, you know, HETAS isn't alone. There are, you know, other, other organizations in the country that can run this sort of scheme. So, um, you know, we're criticized for not saying that, uh, you know, there are other schemes and naming those schemes. Well, if you're in business, you don't name your competitors. It's fairly simple. So, um, that, that's one that I always find, uh, um, difficult to understand as a criticism. Uh, and, and I think it's motivation, you know, why do we do the things that we do? And uh, it's important to understand that we're not a trade association. So, um, you know, there are differences in the way that uh, a company like ours, a company limited by guarantee without share capital, who's not paying shareholders or we're trying to increase stakeholder value rather than increase shareholder value. You know, uh, there's differences between trade associations and certification bodies like ourselves. So, um I think there's a, an element of misunderstanding uh, which sometimes leads to uh, some some questions being asked that are quite easy to answer, uh, quite often misunderstood. 
well, you just touched on it there very briefly. The the charges that uh, oh well, why do I have to pay X amount for registration? It's meant to be not for profit. Mm. Not for profit does not mean that you can't make a profit. Just explain what not for profit actually means. Okay, for us, it's um, it starts off with a legal premise, which is. Uh, if you are um, a commercial company, an ordinary limited company, you are um, bound to serve your shareholders. And the whole purpose of a commercial organization is is to increase shareholder wealth. So um, that that's what it is. That's what commercial companies do. And it's nothing to, there's nothing wrong with that. It's exactly what they should do. That's the legal definition, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the company's act is huge. I mean, chapter 44 is the, is where we, we generally sort of draw our sort of guidance from, but it's huge. But really, if you, if you look at, if you go to, um, on a management course or something, the, you know, the, the fundamentals are that if you're in a commercial organization, you're trying to make money. If you're in, uh, I don't know, um, a company limited by guarantee without share capital or, uh, or, or one of the other types of companies, community based companies. And really you're trying to make money. So you're not saying there's no profit, but the purpose is not to make money. The purpose is to make money to do something good. So to put back into the organization or to do something good for the, uh, for the sector, like I don't know, scientific research or, um, whatever, you know, there's many things that we could do. Uh, in Hitash's case, we put a, a huge amount of money back into the sector by being represented at technical committees and regulatory committees and by sort of advising government departments and, and using our statistics to sort of help understand the sector um, rather than giving in to the media um, view that, you know, we've got to ban everything and, you know, there's 38% of particulates is caused by solid fuel, which has been proven not to be the case. So, you know, we put an awful lot of time, effort and money into those things. So just to just to clarify, not for profit means you can make a profit, but you just don't pay shareholders that profit because you don't have shareholders. That's it in a nutshell, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that it's in terms of governance, you know, the um, organizations like ours and many others that do similar jobs, uh, they will have non-executive boards um, with maybe one director from inside the company. So you'll always get the non-executive directors and members, as they're called, uh, being able to outvote the internal director. So in our case, there's, there's me as a as a director of Heatas and Woodshaw. Um, and then the rest of the directors who, uh, you know, the non-execs and so on, the chair, chairperson, they can all outvote me because there's more of them than me. So, you know, that keeps the organization on the straight and narrow. So just in terms of the, uh, obviously, HITAS, its main aim, obviously, as a competent person scheme is for to enable solid fuel installers to self-certify. In other words, when they install a stove, they can then sign it on, off under building regs. What can you do about installers that don't meet the standards but still sign off work? Because one of the big things is that uh, oh, HITAS don't do anything about this. They're just not. They're just not interested. What's what's your role in that regard? Because there's certain things you can do and there's certain things you can't do. Mm. That's a really interesting question. So. Competent person schemes, all of them. I mean, let's talk about heat tasks because that's what I know. But um, we all have to comply with um, a set of conditions of authorization. So the government department that looks after building regulations, the department for leveling up communities and housing, 
uh, sorry, housing and communities, um, they issue us with two requirements. So one of them is a, is a 20 odd prescriptive document that says you must meet these conditions. And the other one is that you must be UCAS accredited under um, a standard called ISO 17065, which is um, a standard that tells certification bodies like ourselves how we must conduct ourselves being impartial and, um, and, you know, independent and, and not mixing up sort of assessment with decision making and all of that sort of stuff. So we, we have a, those two major requirements and we're audited every year against those uh, two sets of requirements to make sure we're behaving ourselves basically. So that's the, um, that's, that's what we have to do as competent person schemes. But if you've got an installer who isn't, yeah. who isn't doing got, yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What should they do? Uh, in the, in the authorization criteria, it says that we should uh, try to get them to do the right thing. And as a last resort, we should remove them from the register. Now, that sounds all well and good, but if somebody really is not doing a safe job, then we have to be a little bit more serious than that. And we have to report these figures to the government department about how many complaints we have against installers and about the outcome of the complaints and about how many people remove. And um, it is true that out of all of the schemes uh, that, that we know of and, uh, and, and their figures, HETAS is amongst the most serious and we really do remove people and we really do suspend people and we really do deal with people for, um, for working unsafely. Uh, within the set of rules that I've just described, so within the government's conditions and within uh, the 17065 UCAS accredited sort of um, existence that we have to live within. So it's something you do take seriously then because the, because, yeah. the, because the charge is that once you take the money, you're not particularly interested. Yeah, it's an interesting perception. I mean, some of the people that we hear criticising the heat house when we look at our records are the ones that we've removed. <laughs> so that's interesting, isn't it? Um, the the difficult bit for us is that if we do remove them, and we do remove a, a good number each year, because uh, it would affect our reputation if we didn't, um, they can generally go and join someone else. So, I mean, this is the problem. I mean, you know, no complaints about competition. I mean, the only way to sort of be the, the biggest scheme is to try and be the best and try and serve the customers and try and serve the registrants. But... Um, you know, you have to take this seriously. Otherwise, your reputation is on the line. And ultimately, if we were to be sued, uh, we would find ourselves in trouble if we hadn't complied with our own rules for registration, with the UCAS requirements and with the conditions of authorization. So if we ended up in a court of law, we would have to demonstrate that we've met all those requirements. Or, or for instance, we could be sued for the loss of earnings for a, a large contract or something. So in essence, there's, there's a risk in you taking action and not following the set procedure, because if you don't yeah. follow the set procedure, then then you then the bill can land at your door. Yeah, I mean, what we have to do is to make sure that we do follow our rules for registration and we do follow those other codes of practice to make sure that we're doing it right. And UCAS come to us every year and they, they test this. So they'll go into our files and they'll they'll pick out some files and they'll, for some odd reason, they're really good at finding ones that were really difficult. You know, that's just sod's law, isn't it? But they will look at the file and say, look, okay, we can see there was a customer complained about this install or last February or whatever it was. And, you know, what action did you take? And did you, you know, can you go through it? And can you show us emails and the letters? And, 
you know, what point did you get to when you closed it? Did you, you know, remove them from the register or suspend them? And was there an appeal procedure and all of those things? So one of the things we can't do is we, if we remove, generally we would suspend somebody first while we investigate. But then if we go on and remove that installer, then there's a, a an appeal process. So they can come back to us and say, I want you to um, re-examine your um what you've done. So I wouldn't be involved in that initial process of, of making a decision to remove somebody. But if an appeal came back, I'm likely to be involved and, and probably right at the end, but somebody at senior level will take those staff in a room with a set out form and, and, and all that and say, and go through the whole process. What, where did this start? Why is this installer being removed? They've said to us they need to appeal because, you know, and we would go through a whole process to check that we've done the right thing. Now, at, the, at that point, that senior member of staff can say, look, I think we got it wrong. So I think we need to go back to this installer, get them back on the register quick, apologize and learn something from it. You know, so that would all be documented and UCAS have the right to look at that and all that. If we uphold our own decision, then it can go to a next stage of appeal, which is an external appeal. So, I mean, an installer could bring a barrister or a solicitor or somebody else to represent them or represent themselves. Uh, we can get an independent technical um, expert in and we can go through the whole process of an appeal where both sides put their story, if you like, and their evidence. And then a, a, a panel with some independents. So that would be two independents and one person from HITAS would have to make a decision on whether we got it right or wrong. And has, has it ever gone that far? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it rarely happens because we're, um, as I've said before, I I fear um, and dislike arrogance. So, And I think it's a, a business's worst enemy. So I'm all my staff will, will, will generally say, look, hang on a minute, let's step back and have a look at this because we're in danger of being wrong here. So let's just see to that first. Because if we're arrogant and say we're always right, we can land ourselves in big trouble. Yeah, so it's it's, it's not, as some would argue, it's a case of, say, for instance, I'm out on a job and I see a, a poorly installed appliance. Mm. Uh, I just can't take some pictures, send them to HITAS, and the next day they're off the register. It just doesn't happen that way. No, no. I mean, the the problem that we've got, I mean, for instance, we, we had a great guy um, coming to us from down south. We, in fact, we went and met him down south somewhere, um, Essex or somewhere. And he said, I've got a portfolio of evidence that I'd like to show you uh, because um, some of the local installers are terrible and I can name the installers and I can show you the pictures. So we got in a car to us and went and drove down there and uh, and looked at the portfolio and there weren't any names of installers. So we said, well, what, who are the installers then? Can you tell us? He said, well, what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I don't know until we've investigated. Well, I've shown you the photos, you know. I said, yeah, but will that consumer let us in the house to have a look? Can we do an inspection? Can we, you know, what, there's got to be a process here. We can't just take somebody off the register because, you know, you've said that there might be other circumstances. It might not have been then, you know, the last installer might have been looking at the previous job. I don't know. So we didn't get the folder. We didn't get the evidence. We didn't get the name of the companies and we had a, a long drive, you know. So all we could do then is that, is to go back to the installer's file uh, and, and look where he lived and look at the uh, all the installers in the area and start getting the files out and looking, have we done an inspection recently? You know, and 
can we recognize anything? Is there anything we can do? And, and in that case, it's too little evidence, you know. Uh, but the whole point is we start with, um, and this is really important, we never do nothing. So the first thing that happens is if we get a complaint or a bit of um, whistleblowing or a bit of intelligence from somebody who says something's not going right, the first thing we do is is get the file out. So we look, is this someone who's registered? Is there evidence that they've done this job? So is there a notification or not, which doesn't prove anything, but it, it, it might, it might be important. Uh, have they had previous complaints? Have they recently been inspected? Are they competent in that area of work? So there's five things initially there that we say we will always do. And there's a tick sheet on every file that says we've gone through those things. So if we get to that point and it is that person and they did do that job, well, if it's intelligence or whistleblowing, then we can call them up or we can book their inspection or whatever it is. If it's an actual complaint and somebody's willing to complain, we can start the complaint process. But, you know, we, we're bound by the standard and by the uh, requirements of the common person schemes to, to act with natural justice. So we're not a criminal court or anything, but we're, we're told to work on a balance of probability. Uh, so common law. And um, we have to, do that and enact that and we have to demonstrate and evidence that we've done it so if we haven't got sufficient evidence all we can do is say well instead of being inspected the year after next they'll be inspected in six months or two months or they'll be inspected four times in the next two years or whatever you know so that's risk assessment so all of the schemes run a risk assessment model like that there is um there's usually stories floating around about how someone last week they were a postman and this week, they're on a heat task course and they've, they've done their H003, they've passed it and they're now out installing. And that's, that's, that's ridiculous. That makes a mockery of the whole situation. You must have heard those stories as well. Yeah. I don't know where they come from because, um, if you look at the, the way that, uh, certainly heat task works is for the heat task courses, there are prerequisites. So all of the training centers, which operate, uh, they're independent, but they operate under a contract. So they have a contract with us that says they will look at the prerequisites. So if somebody turns up at the door or on the phone or on the email and says, I want to do a course, then they'll be told two things. If you want that course to lead to registration, you must have the prerequisites. So you must have the experience, the existing knowledge, you know, all of those things. If, if for instance, um, somebody were letting people through without that prerequisite, then it would be difficult for the for the centre to refuse them to do a course. But the evidence that comes back from the centre should say, well, they haven't got the prerequisite. So they've done the course because they want the information, like a building control officer, but they're never going to install, you know, in which case we wouldn't give them a certificate of competence. We'd say they attended a course. But if you haven't got the prerequisites and you get on to heat us, something's gone wrong. So somebody's told a fib about their experience or there wasn't a, enough diligence in the process leading up to the training or there wasn't enough diligence in the process leading up to um, registration. Because our staff here have to look at all that. They've got a, a proper template sheet that says, have they got their prerequisites? Did they do their training? Have we got the evidence from the training centre? You know, what courses have they done? How do we limit their registration to cover only the courses they've done? You know, do we need to impose conditions on the, on the registration? Because, you know, they, 
they want to do something, but they can't because they haven't got the competence or whatever. So there's a whole system in uh, in place for all, probably all competent person schemes in the heating sector that is supposed to look at all these prerequisites. And if they haven't, there's something gone wrong. I mean, I have to say from, from my own uh, experience, I think the standard of installation generally has gone up. Good. In the, in the last, I, 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 yeah, I'm not, I'm not just saying that because, <laughs> because we're sat across the desk yeah. from each other. Um, I think, uh, generally speaking, I'm, I'm, from my perspective in the northwest of England, I'm seeing fewer DIY installs. I'm seeing fewer, um, builder installs, i.e., done by someone who's not a member of a CPS scheme. In terms of the, uh, ones that are registered by a, HITAS or an, another CPS scheme, the standard is, is, is generally better. But I think, you know, uh, up until quite recently, um, the, the standard installation practice was to just shove a stove in an opening, stick a, a register, register plate on, that was it. And now most, most installers generally use liners and stuff, which pretty much makes it a better install. Um, instantaneously, there there is a a perception that when someone rings up, he has to complain from a, a consumer side that that you that you automatically take their side over the uh, over the installer or the sweep. Um, how do you deal with consumer niggles, for want of a better word? Okay. Um. That's a really good question. So this has evolved over time, I think, and uh, we we have to publish our complaints policy. So that that's a requirement of um, of the government department, and our our complaints policy has to tick a certain number of boxes as far as they're concerned. And UCAS come along and they they look at our complaints policy and are and are we operating it properly? So the difference between um, a trade association and a certification body is that the, the, the trade association is there for its members, its registrants, whatever it is. Uh, a certification body is there as an independent, impartial organization. So whilst it's a bit like, you know, paying for your car tax in a way, and, you know, it's, it gives you the license to operate, but nobody gives you anything for it. Whereas heat has tries to give something. So we, we, we want to give something back and, uh, so we give all the technical notes and the technical support and um, and the helplines and the, you know the, the other benefits of registration, which is great. But in terms of the complaint, we will we will say to the consumer who wants to complain first of all, have you been back to your um, installer? Because it's very important. We ask them to have a complaints policy. That's part of registration. Um, so have you been back to them and said, please, will you put this right? Or please, will you come and have a look if there's anything wrong at all? And if so, put it right. So at that point, there's no judgment. Uh, we will then, if they have done that, we will say, fill in your customer complaints form, which is, <clears throat> is there to sort of detail the, the customer's perception of what's gone wrong. So at that point, because we have to be impartial, we're not making a judgment. We're saying, look, send us a form uh, with all the details on it. So when we get the form, a team assesses it. And if the complaints team can't deal with it, because there's technical issues, it goes over to the technical team and, and there's some discussion about whether this is a um, a compliant job or not. Um, some consumers think they're experts in solid fuel. Um, 
which is they're unlikely to know more than the installer because the point is the installer has demonstrated in the past that they are competent. Now, when we get to this point, we have to ask, have they acted competently? We know they're competent because they've demonstrated it. But have they made a choice to be incompetent or to act incompetently? Now, that's a distinction that not many people get to. So here we are. They're competent because they're on the register. We've gone through all of that, the prerequisites. They've done their training. They've done their pre-registration assessment. They've done all that. We know they're competent. Have they chosen to do something badly? That's a very difficult yeah. um, judgment to make, really, yeah. isn't it? So now we have to be in a position of saying, right, we need to listen to the uh, the consumer's complaint, read their form, contact the installer and say what you think, because, you know, you're supposed to have a complaints policy, you're supposed to deal with all this. Um, how have we got to this point? Uh, a lot of the time it's a fallout. Money, I don't know, marks on the carpet, burnt the wall, whatever it is, I don't know. Uh, but where it is a safety matter, so that's something to do with um, not complying with the building regulations, um, could be uh, heat damage or carbon monoxide, fumes, smoke. We're, we're straight on those to inspect them. So there's a debate about whether we need to inspect the others, because at the moment we don't know whether the installer's done anything wrong or not. So we're not on anybody's side. We're just saying you know, let's investigate this and get the best we can out of it. The ones where there's definitely evidence of non-compliance, we are definitely on side of the consumer from that point because um, somebody's done something badly wrong, haven't they? So we're saying to, I mean, I say we're definitely on the side of the consumer. We're on the side of the consumer because we want to investigate it. So an inspector will go out there and hopefully the installer will go with them uh, especially if the consumer will allow it. If not, we'll have to go without them. And then we're looking for, is there evidence of non-compliance? And was it, if you like, deliberate? If it's not deliberate, we want to do everything we can to help the installer and to help the consumer. If it's if it feels deliberate, so I don't know, the um, there's no ventilator in there or there's the distance of combustibles is so bad that it started to char the beam or whatever it is, you know, then... That, to me, that's not incompetence, that's negligence, mm. because they've decided to do it that way. So you can only really act on the the building reg side of it. In terms of, in terms of if someone's like left a mark on the carpet or whatever. Mm, you can't do that. No. That's, that's not really your, no. your remit. No, we're not. We haven't got any authorization to deal with that sort of stuff. We'll do our best. Um and we do ask installers to have insurance, which should cover those things. So the, the issue for us is, does it meet the building regulations? And, and there's a whole set of difficulties here for every common person scheme. So the, the only way to legally determine the, whether something meets the building regulations is to take it to the court. That's the ultimate test. If you look at, ADJ, and I think it's page 9 and 14, I can't remember, but I think they're the right page numbers. In a green box, there's a set of regulations, which is J1 to 5. Now, they're the regulations. Don't burn the house down. Make sure the smoke gets out from the fire to the outside through the, through the flue. Put your carbon monoxide place in, in place and don't kill anyone. There's five of them. 
J1 to 5. So they're the regulations, all right? So we're looking to see if people have met the regulation. So, okay, how do we do that? So we have to pay tens of thousands of pounds for business insurance every year because we're a certification body. Every certification body has to do that because we're taking a risk. So we would say in our rules for registration, which is not the law, but it's the rules for registration, as a registrant of HITAS, you will meet the building regulations by applying the standards. So now we have a vehicle to say that if somebody didn't apply the standards, they may not have complied with the regulation. So then the question to the installer is, you didn't use the standards to be compliant, so how can you now tell us this is compliant? If there's a good story, that's fine. If there's not a good story, then it probably means they rushed the job, didn't have enough money in it, couldn't be bothered, acted incompetently when they've already proven to be competent. Um, so you get the picture now yeah. about where our mindset is yeah. because we've had to deal with this for years and years mm-hmm. and it's we're used to it and yeah, we it's, understand it. It's an interesting one because it, obviously it, it feels from uh, on the ground, on the tools, it seems fairly black and white, but obviously, mm. as you've explained, there's... Um, there's various criteria which you've got to meet, which is which is governed by, mm. um, well, an act, uh, Parliament really. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's not it's yeah. not, it's not really uh, there's a there's a bit of shooting the messenger in there. In terms of just going on to the uh, the other part of uh, HITAS, the uh, the approved HITAS uh, approved chimney sweeping scheme. Mm. Obviously, sweeping isn't part of a CPS scheme because yeah. it's not um, th- th- there's no need to be registered uh, with anyone to sweep to sweep a chimney, but HITAS has uh, more than dipped its toe in it's, uh, it's now swimming alongside the, the installer as, a, as an important part of the whole HITAS message, as it were. Why did HITAS decide to go down the approved sweeping scheme route? Way before my time. Mm. Um, I mean, when I arrived at HITAS, um, the, the scheme was already in place, so uh, and well established and the principles of it were well established. So, um, it seemed to me that, uh, at the time, I think it was three associations. So it would have been the guild, um, Apex and, uh, National Association, uh, had some sort of deal with HITAS that said, well, HITAS can approve a chimney sweep as long as it's a member of one of those three associations. So um, to get the extra badge and to be able to use the marketing of the badge and all of that, then somebody had made some agreement at some point, way before my time, to say that, um, yes, if you're one, if only if you're one of those three associations, not any other association, uh, your members can be a, a registrant of, of a HITAS scheme if there's any complaints from the customers, just refer it back to the association, you know. So really, we were offering an extra badge, and we were saying, look, in support of these three associations, we think it's a fantastic idea that, ch- that chimney sweeps are trained and competent and have a, an association behind them, complaints process and all that, and we will support that by having a search function. So we had very little to do with it. It was all, I mean, I, I think that a sweep could register for 40 quid just to cover the paperwork or something. Mm-hmm. 
And that, and that obviously was before 2006 when you yeah. joined. Yeah, and it had been in place for some time. Would you have done it that way? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would. I mean, it was it was good in as much as um, it supported the associations, and associations are important. But what it also did was it excluded lots of people. So if you were not a member of a trade association or one of those three trade associations, you couldn't do the same. Now, for a certification body trying to comply with the requirements of ISO 17065 or, or any other European or British standard for the code of conduct for certification bodies under UCAS, you have to be impartial and independent. Now, there's nothing impartial and independent about running that sort of scheme. So how, how come it took 14, 15, 16 years to change it? It was, I suppose I lived with it because I don't suppose I really understood it for the first few years. And, and the more I asked questions about it, the more I thought, well, I don't know, this is, it's good in a way, but it's strange. But, um, I wanted to be more involved with the chimney sweeps um, from a safety point of view. And we were seeing all this stuff coming through about wood burning and clean air and all, all these things in the very early days, you know, back then. And um, I suppose I tried to, I started ask, inviting the guys here, uh, not here, it was in the previous building. Um, and... We started having meetings and saying, well, you know, what should we do? You know, we, we're, we're dedicated to you guys. We only do, do this for you guys. But how can we make sure things are safe and proper and, you know, and what's our part in it? Because at the moment, these guys are just paying 40 quid. We're doing nothing, you know, that's. And although we're dedicated to safety, we're not actually doing anything, you know. Uh, and I think we're limiting part of the marketplace. You know, why can't other people join well, that didn't go down very well at all, but, um, with the associations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd started asking the question and I'd let the cat out the bag really. And, um, and I suppose there was some negative reactions to the fact that we might do things differently. So instead of protecting the three associations, we might do something that, um, meant that other people could take part in this little club, you know, but as a certification body and as an industry organization, we really didn't have a lot of choice, but not wanting to upset those associations, we started trying to work with them. And so the questions that I was asking were things like, okay, for me as a, as, as a leader of an organization of a safety organization, for me, everything from the choice of fuel, right through to the choice of appliance, the training of the installer, the type of, you know, approving of the appliance, um, the training system, servicing, sweeping, every operation, everything is important to safety. So let's have a look. Have we got an end-to-end -end service for the consumer to be safe? And the answer was no. So the sort of things I was starting to say was, as an association, what do you cover? And at the time, and I don't know if it's any different now, but at the time, we, the guys turned up with their, um, with their terms and conditions from the different trade associations. And it said a chimney sweep starts at the top of the appliance, sweeping through the flue and ends at the top of the flue. 
So for me, there's installer, there's chimney sweep going back as far as the appliance, no servicing regime. So that's not safe. So what I was told was that a number of um, chimney sweeps do servicing as well. I said, yeah, but your terms and conditions said it can't. You know, there it is in black and white in front of me. It might not, not be so much that they can't, it's that they, they, either, they either don't or well, obviously when you're taking an appliance mm. apart, mm. that some appliances, um, you're, you're servicing them at the same time because you're, you're yeah. vacuuming out all the ash yeah. and stuff. But the association paperwork said no. It said starts at the top of the appliance, bottom of the flue, and ends at the top of the flue. And did you ask them to change that? Of course. I mean, that's what the meetings were about. If that's what you do, there's a gap. And the reason for meeting, you know, with the trade association was to say, openly and honestly, I perceive a gap. You know, in the end-to-end safety process in the UK, it doesn't seem to be working. Now, obviously, I didn't want to upset the the trade associations because they covered most of the sweeps and we'd had a long-standing relationship with them and all that. But in the next thing we tried to do is we formed what we call a chimney safety group. So that was um, a, a HITAS initiative. But what it said was we will we will meet with the trade associations um, as an equal group of equal people, and we will rotate the chairmanship between each member organization. So nobody's in charge. We're just a group of people who are looking after the safety of chimneys. That didn't last very long. Um, It appeared to me that um, it was felt that we were encroaching on on the work of others, bearing in mind we already ran a register of of, of sweeps, um, but in support of the trade association. So we were making a serious point about your terms and conditions don't meet uh, that, um, you know, don't require the, the appliance to be looked after. We don't run a, um, a servicing scheme yet. So there's a gap. So where do the competent people, how does the public look into finding a competent um, service agent for a stove or a boiler? Isn't that where the H 9 scheme came into place? Sort of. A bit later, but sort of. I mean, these were early discussions. So at this point, you know, the associations were seeing a change in the way HITAS was acting and talking. There was no change at that time with them. Uh, you know, the sort of registrants we would take on, we were still only with, um, you know, the associations. But then there was a breakaway association, um, which would have been sweep safe at the time. And they wanted to be part of that arrangement. Um, and after a long application process and um, and some to in and fro in between, you know, what we would expect to see and what we wouldn't, they were also part of that process, which wound up the rest of the sector no end. But as an impartial organisation trying to follow the rules of certification, impartial, yeah, not, not our business to say you can and can't join these things if they meet the requirements, if they're safe and they do the job well. It's not our job to say that you can't do it. They went through an application process. Eventually, they showed that they could meet the same requirements as the others. Level playing field. And I think at that point, that's where um, there were some difficulties in the sector. You know, we we were sort of frowned upon for sort of um, being more 
inclusive, I think. There was a big, um, what's the best word to describe it? A bit of a gap emerging, whereas uh, Sweepsafe were certainly going down the the HITAS route, that, that, that they were seen as, as being very pro-HITAS. Mm. Um, that was that was certainly the what was what was coming across. Yeah. So maybe that helped drive a wedge between HITAS and the associations. Mm-hmm. But in terms of um, the uh, the chimney safety group, I mean, you've said yourself that you didn't particularly like the way the scheme was set up in terms of the approved sweep scheme. Mm. Was the intention all along not to basically? break that link because as you said yourself you, you don't feel that it was equitable i think we we spent years literally years meeting with um, the other associations trying to move to a position where it was more open more inclusive and and less protectionist um and eventually we you know we we discussed it at our board meetings and our members meetings and you know i suppose the opinion was that things weren't going to change so we would have to do our own thing, you know, and it was almost like the, it felt like the trade associations put us in a position where we had to do the very thing they didn't want us to do. That's what it felt to us. I mean, we would have gone a different way if we would have um, been able to with the relationships that we had. But as it happened, uh, we got to the point where um, they didn't want to come to those meetings anymore. They just wanted to do their own thing. So we were left with, a scheme that we believed should be um, modernised and more about uh, servicing and sweeping and safety generally and about uh, educating the customer in, in responsible burning and, you know, uh, uh, not slumbering and all of those things. So we had a different vision of the future than the uh, than it appeared that the um, associations had and so we followed it. The associations, I imagine, obviously they're all different. They all, they all, yeah. they all uh, have a slightly different take on things. Mm. The, uh, I imagine most of them would say this was going to happen anyway. The chimney safety group was a bit of a, uh, a bit of showmanship. The, the change, the change was going to happen mm. and, uh, it was, it was just a bit of window dressing to, to, to make it seem like you were consulting. Really? <laughs> I, you know, couldn't be further from the truth, but if that's the way they perceived it, that's fine. You know, it's uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's 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 one of the perceptions that yeah, came yeah, from yeah. some people, um, yeah. but never but nevertheless, the um, would the scheme have? You know, you you use the the uh, the defence of fairness and equitability in terms of joining the scheme. Yeah. Would the scheme at some point have been opened up to everyone because of the fact that was there anything in in legislation or was there anything in terms of your 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 remit from government which would have meant that you'd ha- you'd have had to open it up because in the absence of that I would imagine that even today it could still have been the quote unquote quote closed yeah. shop. Yeah, no, nothing from government. I mean, um, most a, a, a number of the schemes that we operate are voluntary. So we've got the retailer scheme, which is, you know, quite well, um, well attended really. We've got the, uh, we've got cleaner choice, which is the product approval scheme. We've got the Woodshaw ready to burn and, um, other, uh, uh, fuel quality schemes. 
um, we've got biomass maintenance, we've got stove servicing and uh, uh, and sweeping. So there's there's competent person scheme which is sort of legislated, and we're one of the choices that people can take. There's uh, we run the MCS scheme for product approval and for installers for biomass, which is part of the RHI legislation. But outside of that, the schemes that we operate are more about trying to bring something to the sector and let the sector prove and help the sector to prove that it's not this, um, not what's perceived or, or, or shown by the media, you know. So it's more about bringing everybody together for the benefit of the safety and the environment. So again, back to our purpose, which is working together for a cleaner and safer environment. Is HITAS trying to take over the chimney sweeping industry? No. We want as many competent chimney sweeps and service engineers on our list as possible to give everyone in the UK um, a fair chance at finding a competent chimney sweep and service agent who will look after their safety and educate them in environmentally responsible burning. The argument would be that the associations would say that they can provide that. Well, why don't they then? But they would argue that they do. Oh, right. Okay. Not, not, not something you agree. Um, they're trade associations. We're a certification body. We have a different approach. That's all. There's room for both. I don't mind, you know, if, if, if somebody comes to heat has to join as a, um, as a registered chimney sweep and they come from a trade association, we've already got a level of confidence in them. So that's a massive positive tick in the box, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Does HITAS train chimney sweeps? Uh, not at the moment, but very likely in the future, yes. But not from scratch. So it would mirror a kind of H003 approach where you've got to show some level of competency before yeah. you before you do it. So again, there would be prerequisites. Um, there would be a, a chimney sweeping course for people who have experience. Yeah, and a level of competence already. So just to bring them up to date if they need it on regulations. If they don't need it, I'm sure we would put in a, a, a case where they can just go and take the exam because they're already up to date and they, you know, so that's what we do with other courses anyway. You don't have to take the course if you can do the assessment, which mirrors the gas industry, really. Uh, but yes, we are committed to... um to a wider ranging, wider skilled chimney sweep and service engineer of the future with um, very much a safety and environmental bias in their work. Well, does this sound a death knell for the associations then? I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, I suppose for me, we're moving with the times. If the associations move with the times as well, they'll do equally as well. But you're, you're going into direct competition with them. No, we're not a trade association. We're a certification body. But that's a that's a very slight nuance. Mm, I don't I don't think it is. I think well at the yeah. end of the day, um, you you've still got the you still got the badge on the van. Yeah. So so to the consumer, it's the same thing. Yes, I, it could be seen as the same thing. Probably is. But we're not a trade association. We're not doing the trade association's job. And that's the distinction we've always made. It's a, we're not taking the, the, the money from a member to do as the member wishes. 
we are providing a competence scheme that people can use uh, to prove their competence and to sell their competence through the badge. Is is it um, is it likely that sweeping will be will eventually fall under a CPS scheme? In your view, no, no, no. So the idea that we uh, that all sweepers have to be registered with a CPS scheme is is pie in the sky. At the moment, I think it's uh, it's not something that's being talked at at government talked about at government. No, in fact, the opposite. The government would say. Or certainly, um, MHCLG or, or DUL, whatever, Department for Eleven and um, Housing Communities would say, to have a competent person scheme, you are certificating a product or a service, and the service is a controlled service. So it's a, it's something that you put into a property that's of a safety or environmental nature. Yeah. And at the moment, sweeping or maintenance isn't covered by the regulations so it would take a major uh, change of primary legislation to mandate government to um to put in place a scheme that mandates chimney sweeps and maintenance they've done it through uh, rhi for rhi purposes for non-rhi is the renewable heat incentive so so where people, so where a non-domestic RHI um, recipient gets loads of money for fitting a massive biomass boiler, the RHI regulation says that you have to have the boiler service and you have to use a good quality fuel. Mm-hmm. But once the RHI is over, you don't need to anymore. It's gone. You don't, that's just a condition of you claiming the money. But for general legislation, there's nothing in legislation that says that anybody must maintain anything. Not that I know of, not in our sector. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's impossible at the moment, under current law, for the government department to say that there must be a, a sweeping scheme under a common and personal scheme. I've got no um, thoughts that they will. Until one day, if they say they will, well, okay, it will go through consultation and all that. I don't think it'll ever happen. I mean, it's it's happened for gas, uh, the service element, but that's again that that was through primary legislation. Yeah, that was the gas safety installation yeah. and regu- and use regulations, mm-hmm. which is under the Department for Work and Pensions mm-hmm. and HSE. Now, it's possible that HSE will take over common person schemes. That's possible. So, if if you follow the the link, then then a CPS scheme for sweeps. Well, let's say never say never. But never say never. No. no. So, with a change of regime, you might get a change. But I think HSE would take some years to sort of get into the competent person scheme sector if they do go that way. Because it's not certain by any means. Hmm. And then um, it would be another couple of years to look at changes in the law, consultation processes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it. Certain, I, my view is you might start to think about it in five years' time, but there's no evidence of it yet. I have to say, I, I, can't, I can't see it myself. No. Um, and I've, I've scratched yeah. my head uh, and yeah. thought of ways around it. I mean, what, yeah. what the basic thing is, if you don't have to be gas safe, registered to sweep a gas chimney, then there'd be no particular reason why you'd have to be a member of a CPS scheme to, 
to do that. With the it. only caveat there is if you were removing a gas fire to sweep a chimney. Yes, of course, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's that. Yeah. That's obviously that's obviously moving the appliance. Which yeah, is, yeah. And we haven't got that in the solid fuel sector. So yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't want. You know, we've got no plans to take over the world. We want to, you know, work together for cleaner, safer environment. There's. Um, we provide robust evidence. This is, I'm reading now from a piece of paper for those who, um, who are listening. Providing robust evidence to inf- influence national and EU standards for appliances, fuels and installation. Listing appliances and fuels that meet the standards or exceed them. Registering properly trained, competent installers, service engineers, chimney sweeps, retailers who meet the appropriate standards. We approve training centres for all who work in the sector, provide up-to-date advice to businesses, consumers, and regulators, researching options for improved service with the sector and engaging with national and local government to help minimise any adverse impact of the sector as a whole on wider society. That's what we're after doing. That's on our website. If, if, those, if those statements are not adhered to... Yeah. Would the government, quote-unquote, press the nuclear button and ban stoves? Consultations are going on at the moment. DEFA in England has said it's got no plans to ban stoves. I don't know about open fires, but stoves. Um, It certainly wants to drive forward better burning, so the right appliances, modern appliances with the right fuels, cleaner, Or all of that. Wales, in its consultation, has said that they would move to ban domestic burning. Scotland, under their what they call CAFS 2, which is Clean Air for Scotland 2, um, have consulted on whether uh, or not it would be appropriate to ban stoves and have said no, but they would want to go forward with dry wood and, um, and cleaner appliances. Mm-hmm. I think Wales, being a, a former mining area with lots of people using solid fuel, would prefer in the end to go down the cleaner, safer route. Um, but they have said in their, in, in their consultations that they have considered banning, but ultimately banning domestic burning. But it's not on the, it's not on the, in the medium to short term. No. 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 I, I, th- I think, um, I, th- I think the idea of, of banning it is probably, Probably politically massively unpopular, um, yeah. and not only that, um, probably quite unenforceable to a degree. Yeah, I mean, the, there are some principles in government down there, like an, you know, it sounds a bit daft, but the Englishman's home is a castle, isn't it? So what you do in your own home is is basically up to you. I mean, okay, we've got new legislation that covers smoke emissions, and if you're emitting smoke, you can now be liable to, uh, in a smoke control area, you can now, now be liable to a fixed penalty fine and all that. So they've taken it out of criminal legislation and put it into common law legislation, and that's that's fine. So I think there's uh, there's lots of things going on and lots more coming through the environmental legislation, particularly the Environment Act over the next few years. But, um, you know, it's I don't think the government wants to really legislate your... F- you're my, our freedom away. Mm-hmm. I think they would much rather give us uh, a route to do better. I mean, in terms of doing better, 
uh, brings us on to the, the last bit of the heat ass pie, if you like, and that's the uh, the fuel side. Yeah. Because obviously there's a uh, wood shore, which uh, kind of sits alongside the, the heat ass branding. Mm. I mean, I have to say, um, my own view about the whole wet wood argument was that I personally thought it was a bit of a red herring. My, that was my own yeah. personal view. And I, th- I think, I think you know that Bruce. Mm, yeah. Um, in terms of wet wood, um, I don't necessarily see it as an issue in the areas that I work. Um, no. But nevertheless, it has, in, certainly in England at least, come to pass that the, the wet wood legislation is, is now is now there. You pushed for the um, the certification scheme for, for fuels. Was it just a money making exercise? I'll tell you where it started. It was, um, I don't know, it must have been 2010, I guess, 2011, something like that. We were starting to hear the first rumblings about, you know, particulate emissions and pollution from domestic burning and non-domestic burning. And uh, our uh, technical director at the time, bloke called Robert Burke, was, um, was, was really sort of concerned that, you know, we understood the situation. Because if, if it, as it has, if it got out of hand in the media, you know, then, uh, you know, we needed to know the truth. So alongside some work that other people were doing, so there were some people burning some dry wood to look at the particulate emissions. We, um, we paid for a laboratory to burn some wet wood. And we compared the emissions figures between the two reports and found that for wet wood, the, Particulate emissions was in that particular report. Um, it was five times higher for wet wood than dry wood. So we had an inkling straight away that, and this was just basic wood logs in an open fire. So it wasn't anything clever. It wasn't in a particular type of appliance. It was just put, put the same amount of wood on an open fire under laboratory conditions, use an electrostatic precipitator to weigh the particles and, um, and compare the two. It was simple as that. And we found that uh, it was five times the particulate emissions um, for wet wood as opposed to dry in an open fire in the laboratory conditions. We consulted with some of the coal sector and it appeared to us that um, from what they were saying that it's very similar with house coal and smokeless coal, about four times the amount, four and a half times. So we could, we could see from the, from the test reports and they run multiple tests. So we could see the averages that four to five times more particulates were coming from, um, wet wood and poor, poor solder mineral fuel. So that was way back when, you know, uh, so at the time we were saying to DEFRA, we need to put in place a scheme for wood and for solid fuel that, um, that pushes towards a better quality fuel. And, and therefore, well, yeah, I understand. I can see, you know, we, you know, but we're not really sure, but you know, we are, we are convinced that there's a problem in the, in the future. Well, like I say, that, that might have been 2012, 11, something like that. Now, at the same time, um, one of the people that's now our, one of our directors or two of our directors had been looking at a problem with their construction company and how to get rid of the waste wood. And it was difficult to get rid of waste wood. Um, 
what do you do with it? How do you get rid of it? If you burn it, what does that mean? And they'd started Woodshaw. So we had HITAS doing a U, sort of based on the model of UCAS accreditation, certification body, all of that. You had Woodshaw, who were much more about the um, working with the scheme, with the people on the ground. So they were much better, again, to the stakeholders at that time. And we met up with each other and said, look, you're really good at that. We're really good at this. Why don't we, you know, put it together? And that's where um, that's when Woodshaw joined with HITAS. So two companies, but owned, wholly owned by HITAS. And... Uh, then we had all the work coming through because we, we were pushing government at the time saying, we've, we've seen this, we've done the tests, here's the test reports, you know. And we were seeing all sorts of evidence around the place of, of problems. And this was before all the press and all that, you know, it's just that we'd been part of the sector and we'd seen it. And so we, we said to DEFRA that this is what we found, send them the reports and all that, and, you know. And they were saying, yeah, we're hearing this about from other places, you know. So at the time, we paid for, um, with another organization in the sector, for um, some scientists to do some work, to, to bring together all the research that they could find and to do a report on it. That's available on our website. And it basically said wet wood is, um, and, 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 you know, solid mineral fuels, house coal is much worse than, than dry wood and smokeless. It, you know, all the research said so. Didn't talk about the market, whether people actually use it or not. But at the time, it was also evident that government had done some research. Um, and they'd come up with a figure of 5.8 million tonnes of wood sold in the UK. So if you put the emissions to the 5.8 million tonnes, you come up with 38% of particulates in the UK produced by domestic burning. Um, which clearly we could we couldn't see as being right you know we could understand how they got it you know they'd done a survey and all of this and it uh, and you know but from our research we couldn't see that this was this was right you know and uh and that was fair enough so we kept pushing this at defra and at defra eventually said well look let's have a meeting so at the time the the minister was to raise coffee he was going you know going home from london you know, uh, back to her farm, wherever she lives. And on the way, she'd stop at the garage and see all this wet wood in the garages, you know. And some of it was dripping wet. And she was sort of starting to say, well, we're seeing all this wet wood everywhere, you know. If it's true that it's, you know. And so anyway, they got industry together um, in a room in London and said, well, what do you do? The whole of the sector, all of 11 or 12 people there, I said to them, why don't we meet at Heatass and Woodshaw and we'll, we'll work it out. And, and from that meeting, we came up with Ready to Burn. But scientific work was being done by Leeds, Manchester Universities. And that was uh, led by somebody called Jenny Jones, um, Professor Jenny Jones and Dr. Manley Langton and other people like that. And they were proving that um, not only does wet wood give higher particulate emissions, it also gives higher pollution levels generally. So in terms of um, wet wood, you, you get more PAHs, which is... Um, Forgive me if I get it wrong, but it's polyaromatic hydrocarbons, which are carcinogens and so on and so forth. So, you know, the whole picture was coming together that you shouldn't have wet, you shouldn't burn wet wood, wet chip, all those things. And that's where eventually the government said, well, okay, heat ass wood, sure, you've been running that scheme on a voluntary basis for a couple of years. Um, we're going to put legislation through and we're going to, um, 
then tender a similar scheme out, which we won. And, and now we run the ready-to-burn scheme for DEFA. Do you think, I mean, like you say... So it's not for, it's, yeah. it wasn't just about making money, no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in terms of, it's almost like you, you could make the argument that you, you solved... Uh, you solved an issue that wasn't necessarily a problem because as a sweep, I, I know that mm. um, the vast majority of people don't burn wet fuel because it doesn't burn. Yeah. 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 It doesn't produce any heat and yeah. it stinks and the, the neighbors hate them and all that business. So even if someone inadvertently does, mm. they very, that they very quickly stop because yeah. it's just not, it's just not working. So, yeah. so it, it had the feeling to me at least, and you know, yeah, sure. it, it, you, you may disagree that it was a tick box exercise by the government to say, we've done something rather than actually looking at the main cause, which was appliance operation. Yeah. It didn't feel that way to me. It felt like they'd, I mean, we, we and the manufacturers and others were pushing this idea that, You've got to burn things properly. And this is where the chimney sweep comes in because they're in the house every year or twice a year and the chimney sweep can educate the customer. So that, that's why there's a big focus on the chimney sweep. At the start of it all, at installation, the installer can educate the customer. Through the life of the stove, also the fuel merchant can educate the customer because they can say buy dry fuel, whatever. And so the, the meetings that we were having with DEFRA and some of the chimney sweeps associations were at those meetings were saying there's two things, burn the right fuel in the right appliance, maintain it properly and sweep it properly, educate the customer. Those things were all discussed and of pretty equal weight, if you like. Um, because the, the maintenance side of it is outside of all of the government department sort of policy areas, it hasn't been taken forward. It may be taken forward in some way, I think, but I don't think it'll be by saying the chimney sweep has to join the competent person scheme. I'm not sure that's the right way at all. It might say that um, properties should have an annual check where um, the appliance is checked for proper operation and um, advice is given to the consumer. It might say that but not to join a common person scheme. Now, people like the trade associations, HITAS, others might say, well, I'll run one of those schemes. But I don't think it will be a monopoly. I don't see why it would be. What's the, what role do you see for, I mean, obviously you're very clear what, what HITAS's role is in the yeah. future. Mm. Um, obviously the installation continuing, the sweeping and education yeah, and, and uh, obviously the, the fuel side as well. We've not talked. We've not talked about uh, appliance testing, but you also cover that. You, you, yeah, you, you yeah, also, cover, that, you also yeah. cover that as well. Um, what what roles do the associations play? Well, not being one, I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're driven by um, you know a board of members and directors and myself and the senior management team and, you know, all the conversations we have with sweeps and installers and consumers and all those things and our relationships with government. It's, um, there is a distinction between a certification body um, and if you like gas safe is a certification body and it's a monopoly, but it still tries to look after its installers. Is, is there, is there a, 
in your eyes, at least, is there a, is there a battle for the era of government between HITAS and the sweeping associations under the umbrella of the Federation of British Chimney Sweeps? I think, um, I think because we've been at it a long time and had long lasting relationships with government, I think the, you know, the Federation and the associations are working hard to, um, to get the government's ear, but we're not stopping them in any way. In fact, it's, you know, you might argue it the other way around. <laughs> But we're certainly, I mean, we, we sit on, um, you know, the consultation groups and the implementation groups with governments, Wales, Scotland, England, and so do the sweeps. And we've, you know, we would see that as right. You know, we wouldn't try to stop them in any way. I mean, that, that's a, it's a very legitimate role for them. Do you, do you see any... Any any role in the future where whereby uh, the associations will kind of almost uh, be, again be, become very close to Heaton? So do you think that 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 ship has sailed? Oh no! I mean, um, if I'm if I'm really honest with you, we we tried to make a uh, you know to continue that discussion and that relationship. It wasn't us who chose to end it. So if 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 dialogue was forthcoming, then I presume you'd listen. Absolutely, be happy to chat. Yeah. Would you would you do it the other way? Would you would you hand out an olive branch? Uh, always do. It's never accepted, but always do. Always happy to talk to them. I think one of the biggest. Just to wrap up, because obviously we've mm. gone for quite a, quite a while and a, a very, yeah. a very, very interesting yeah. uh, conversation. Yeah, I think in in terms of the 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 sweep, because the because the sweep is the person who sees the um, the customer year in year out. We know how people burn and what they're burning. Yeah. And how they use their appliance because yeah. we we're the ones who who you know, an installer will see it once and they might go back to check something's wrong. But if they don't, mm. if they're not sweeping, then they mm. obviously don't um, they don't see that installation again. Yeah. So the sweep is really at the at the fulcrum of all this, really, because 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 we are essentially the the yeah. most direct way to the consu- yeah. Yeah. to the consumer. So. You could be forgiven for thinking that there is a there is a battle for for for, for the for the quote unquote control of the sweeps because mm. that that mm. because because we're the ones who 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 can who can deliver the message. Mm. Do you believe that that is just something that's in people's minds, or do you think it's actually a real thing? I think you know when when you listen back to this. Um, discussion today, you'll, you'll hear me, I don't know, probably, I can't remember three, four, five times saying that the sweep is in the house. The sweep is the one that's there. The sweep is the one that will be listened to by the, uh, by the consumer. The sweep is the one that can educate people, you know, in responsible burning. And, you know, the sweep can be, um, servicing the appliance at the same time. It's the sweep has the major part to play. 
in the ongoing um, safe and uh, clean burning of the appliance. So that they they do have that power, and obviously you you would like them to be HITAS registered, uh, of course, yeah. Um, and I suppose what we do is, as we do with the installer, we would you know continue to put out technical bulletins, have a technical outline. Um, when we go to government, we are um, repeating what we've just said every time we speak to government. The sweeps the one in the house, the sweeps the one that has the, the contact with the install, with the customer, the sweep is the one that can educate on, you know, a responsible burning. So it's a very responsible um, <clears throat> uh, role in the sector. Um, I suppose our belief for some years has been that making that a sort of a a sweeping and servicing and educating role has been fixed in our mind for at least 10 years. Do you like the idea of sweeps being qualified via an MVQ? Love it. I mean, for us, if somebody comes to us and says, look, we're a member of a, a trade association or we've got an NVQ or we've got an H009 and an H or whatever it is, love it. Would, would HITAS have a um, getting on the MVQ bandwagon and um we already accept it as part of our criteria for sweeps but would you also do the assessing as well no 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 no, no not interested hmm. i mean there's people out there already doing that they're very good at it you know it's um we think the mbq is a little bit narrow at the moment so we think it could widen out in the future would that um is, is that is it narrow because of how it's prescribed by Whoever, I can't remember the organisation that does it, but there's, there's certain set criteria for, for MVQs. I mean, the MVQ, when they put these things together, and we've got to remember there's two different things here, and I'm, you'll probably have to cut a load of this, but there's two ways to, to demonstrate, um, you know, competence, if you like. So oh, there's a number of ways. There's, one of them is by a lifelong um, a lifelong qualification, so like an MVQ or a Scythian Guilds, whatever it is. Um for competent person schemes, you can't have that because they've got to be reassessed if it's a combustion appliance every five years. So that sort of qualification doesn't quite match, but you could put something in place to reassess anyway. So that's fine. Um, but you generally, you go to an awarding body who helps you to put together a group of people that in theory are um, experienced and qualified to form a standard. And then that, organization will guide those people through the standard setting process so there's some templates and some guides you've got to cover this you've got to cover that but covering extra stuff if you are competent to do so is not a problem but you need to define it so if it was you could either have a, a sweeps nvq or a sweeps and servicing nvq if you like or an installs nvq potentially yeah i mean there is an installers nvq yeah yeah so that's fine um, but you still have to be a member of a CPS as well if you want to self-certify. Yeah, I mean, and, and they're great mm. as long as you understand that they haven't got that five-year reassessment in them. And they need to cover the things that are currently out there. So, I mean, the, like the chimney, sorry, the um, solid fuel NVQ is heavily into open fires and coal. It's really old. There isn't a modern one. So whether it really meets the needs of today's installer is questionable. But the, um, so, I mean, we think, or yes, as an organization, we think that servicing and sweeping is maintaining. 
I don't really see a distinction. And nor do some sweeps and service agents. But others are very clear when they speak to us, I only sweep, I don't service. Or I only service, I don't sweep. And that's not a healthy distinction. That doesn't do the customer any good at all. So what are you going to do? Oh, I only sweep, missus. Um, you'll have to phone somebody else to service. Or no, missus, I only service. You'll have to. Once I've done this, you'll have to get a sweep in. That's not good for anybody. I must admit, I, I mean, when customers say, do you service? I go, well, yeah. Uh, but the, 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 I think the, the difficulty is if some people think servicing means replacing bricks or, or grates and stuff like that, and some don't want to go down that particular route. In terms of cleaning out the stove and making sure everything's yeah. working, the air control's working, all that business, the rope seals are nice yeah. and yeah. tight. Yeah, um, but I, th- I think I think it's probably because servicing is probably quite poorly defined, really, that, that some yeah. are... It's only probably the more experienced sweeps who are happy to who know what servicing entails and maybe also a little bit of education on the customer side because if if you say your stove serviced and you look inside it and there's still the old bricks customers will go well, why hasn't that been replaced because it doesn't need to be replaced well it's, i want it servicing so it's it's it I, is so, so what we're saying is it's poorly defined and it could do with being better defined yeah. which is where we're coming from yeah i i, I, I certainly i certainly see, see that from, from my own experience that uh day in and day out so yeah listen bruce i I, I must admit we've taken up over the the two weeks two hours of your of your time i think it's been really informative i I think in any industry there is um obviously room for uh greater understanding i think in the solid fuel industry because it's such a small industry and it doesn't have a a um, an active trade press as such that uh, you can you can get to have quite a few misunderstandings about things, and I hope that people who've been listening today uh, have uh, have learned a lot from it. And I know I've I've learned a lot today from from speaking to you. So thanks, thanks as much again, Bruce. Thank you for going through one hour and twenty minutes of this interview. It's been uh, it's been great to have you listening. Like I always say, if you want to drop an email to us, it's David at trade entrepreneur.co.uk. If you're on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, give us a like and a subscribe and it'll tell us when the next show is available. Many thanks again for joining us from here in currently sunny Gloucestershire. Have a great week and we'll see you all again very soon.